Would you take your Bibles, please, and find the book of Colossians, chapter 3, please. Colossians, chapter 3. Uh, verse, I'm going to begin reading at verse 12 and read through 17. Another reason I enjoy coming to Hope is because you have a tall pulpit made for tall people. Colossians 3, I'm a, uh, verses 12 through 17. Would you follow along in your Bibles? The Word of God for the people of God. Paul writes, Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father. Through him. This is the word of the Lord. The movie Shenandoah, perhaps you've seen the movie. It's a classic Civil War film about a widower played by Jimmy Stewart, one of my favorite actors. I'm showing my age now. He and his children lived in western Virginia at the time, uh, thus the name Shenandoah. Stewart's farm family opposes a civil war on moral grounds, but they are pulled into the fighting when tragedy strikes home. Like so many Americans then and now, he's rugged, he is uh, independent, he's hardworking, he's a hard-driving man, and his attitude toward God is sadly typical. When the family sits down to a meal, this is what he prays. Lord, we cleared this land, we plowed it, sowed it, and harvested it, we cooked the harvest, It wouldn't be here, and we wouldn't be eating it if we hadn't done it all ourselves. We work dog bone hard for every crumb and morsel, but we thank you just the same, Lord, for this food. Amen. (laughs) Not exactly a model of good Thanksgiving. Who's he really thanking there, huh? It kind of sounds like Bart Simpson, and when he sits down to a meal, he prays, Dear God, we pay for all this ourselves, so thanks for nothing. We've just begun a brand new year. I don't have to tell you that. I'm sure you've made plans perhaps this year. You're thinking about what this year is going to bring. The better question, I think, is not what this year is going to bring. I think the better question I'm going to propose to you today is that what do we bring to this year, 2024? What do you bring? What do you plan on bringing to 2024? No matter what happens this year, and lots of things will happen, I want to propose a specific lifestyle for you to hopefully embrace this morning, or begin to embrace this morning, a lifestyle that I believe has the power to change you. I want to propose a lifestyle of thanksgiving. 
A lifestyle of thanksgiving, living thanksgiving, I call it, making 2024 a year of giving thanks, specifically focusing on thanksgiving this year. I know that we often thank God when we pray. We all do that. If you know the Lord, you're a Christian. Even if not, sometimes you might pray. And sometimes, oftentimes, we begin our prayer with, thank you, Lord, for the day. Thank you for our good health. That's all good. Thank you for this, that, and the other. And I'm sure most of you, when you sit down to lunch today, probably before you start eating, most of the time, when you tell your kids to wait, uh, you'll return thanks, will you not? That's a good thing to do. But I suspect if your heart is like mine, that that way of giving thanks can become rather routine. And less than full of joy and open-eyed awareness I think that we need, you and I, we need a fresh and deeper way of looking at this thing we call thanksgiving. Giving of thanks. Paul writes this letter to uh, the Colossian church because um, they were uh, being influenced by some false teachers. These false teachers were telling them, look, knowing Jesus is fine, but you need more than that. You need some really strict rules. You uh, You need some visions. And you need a whole lot of thou shalt nots. Paul challenges all of that in this letter. And he says to the people, no, no. If you got Jesus and you've been united to him in his life, death, and resurrection, you've got what you need. And in fact, Paul says, in that faith that, uni- faith that unites you to Christ, it will produce in you wonderful virtues like compassion. He names them here. I read them a moment ago. Kindness, humility, meekness, patience, and love. Good stuff, right? But there's one virtue here that Paul especially highlights. It's like he hooks a battery up to it so it will blink before us. He says it three times. Did you see it when I read the verses? Three times in just a few sentences. Look at verse 15 again. Verse 15, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body and be, what? Thankful. Verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Twice. Verse 17, and whatever you do in word or deed, that covers about everything, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. Here it is, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Three times. Why? why, why does, Paul doesn't say anything else three times here. Why does Paul make such a big deal out of giving thanks? And this is not the only place. It's not just here. If you've read your Bibles very much and just paid attention a little bit, You'll see this theme come up all over, everywhere. You've already sung it this morning in some of our songs. Being thankful to God over and over and over. Do you know that well-known psalm, Psalm 100? It says, enter his gates with thanksgiving. When you, his courts with praise is speaking of corporate worship. Well, listen to what Paul says in Ephesians 5. Just a few books before Colossians. You don't have to turn there. Just listen. He says, Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. Or just one more example. 
A famous passage in Philippians, perhaps you know it, where he talks about casting our care on God and trusting him for everything. Look at what he says here in Philippians 4. He writes, um, indeed, he writes, let me get to it. Sorry, wrong chapter. Here we go. Here we go. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And over and over and over, I could come up with all kinds of verses, just scores and scores of verses. Why is it such a big deal? Here's what I'm going to propose to you today. I think giving thanks and thanksgiving is emphasized so much all through the Bible because it is at the heart of who God is, and it's at the heart of who we are meant to be. At the heart of who God is, and what we're meant to be, what do I mean by that? I mean two things. And these are the two things I want to share with you today. The first thing is this. Giving thanks acknowledges a generous God. There it is. Think about that. When we give thanks to God, we are confessing how lavishly generous he is. That's what you're doing. We talk about glorifying God. We talk about it a lot in our churches, don't we? Well, here's a big way we glorify God, by having hearts filled with thanksgiving. It acknowledges how generous God is, that he is a God who has given to us, who keeps on giving to us, and will continue to give to his people. He's a God of great bounty. And when we focus on his generosity, listen, please, when we focus on how generous he is, it can change us. It really can change us. It has that kind of power. Look at verse 17 here in chapter 3 again. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father. Now look at the next little phrase, through him. Who's the him here? Lord Jesus. Giving thanks to God the Father through him, through Jesus. Now that through him, Paul is riffing off of what he's already said in chapter 1 in this book. And he wants us to remember what he said. So turn with me back to chapter 1 and look at how he uses this phrase, chapter 1 of Colossians. Look at verses 15 and 16, this idea of through him, through Jesus. What has God done through Jesus? Well, he's done a lot of things, hasn't he? But let's begin with this one he speaks of here. Verse 15. He, that is Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. There's a lot there. We can't get into all of it. It's jam-packed with wonderful theology. But keep reading. Verse 16, for by him, by Jesus, all things were created in heaven, on earth, visible, invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created. Here it is, through him, as the same phrase, Through Jesus and for him. All things were created. So, when we talk about giving thanks, let's begin like this. We're to give thanks to God because of all the lavish gifts he gives to us in creation. It comes to us through Christ. Creation does, right? So Paul says when when the world was created, the Father was there, Jesus was there, and Jesus was some kind of agent the Father used to create everything. So if you turn back to page one of your Bibles, don't go there now, but when you read page one, Jesus is part of all of that. So the Father and Jesus, and also the Spirit is there, but that's not my focus today. Jesus is there, and God makes everything through him. 
Give thanks for the world you live in, all the gifts that come your way in creation every day. Creation points to a God of lavish generosity. Give thanks. So, chapter 1, page 1 of your Bible, God created how much? The heavens and the earth and everything in them, right? Everything that's there. Light and sun and the moon and flowers and peach trees and quarter horses and buffaloes and rainbow trout and smallmouth bass and lakes and oceans and stars and billions of butterflies. God made it all. Why? Was he bored? Did he just need a little project that year? He and Jesus get together. Well, let's do something this year. We haven't been doing a whole lot lately. Why did God the Father, with Jesus, through the Spirit, create this beautiful, wonderful world that we live in? Though it be broken in many ways, it's still a wonderful world. Why did he do it? You know what the Bible tells us? He did it out of generous love. Not to keep it to himself. Because he creates everything, and the last thing he makes is what? Day six. The man and the woman. And he puts them in that creation and says, this is all for you to enjoy. This is for you. Generous love. He creates everything to share it with us. <laughs> Are you with me? To share it with us. It's generous love. And it all comes to us as bountiful gift, does it not? Why in the world, have you ever thought about this? Some of you know these numbers. Why in the world do we have 10,000 species of birds, for heaven's sake? I love to watch. Anybody like to watch the birds here? Anybody really love Jesus? Raise your hand. You like to watch birds. <clears throat> I'm a big bird watcher. I've gotten into birds in my old age. I like to take photographs of birds and pictures and stuff. 10,000 species of birds. Why, why are there not just four, five, six, or seven? It's all pointing to the lavish generosity of God for us to just notice it, observe it, be awed by it, and go, amazing, look how bountiful God is. Anybody here like to fish? Get any fishermen. A lot more fishermen than bird watchers. Okay, right. <clears throat> Do you know how many species of saltwater fish there are? 20,000. Do we really need 20,000 species of saltwater fish? You see where I'm going here. If we have eyes to just see and think for a moment, it's all pointing to God's amazing, extravagant, lavish gift-giving. I give it all to you for you to enjoy. I love trees, 60,000 different species of trees, and on and on we could go. Or let's just bring it home a little more. Think of the generosity of God with your own hand. Now, most of you have not one hand, but two hands. And on each hand, you have how many fingers? It's a stupid question, isn't it? should ask the kids this. They, five, do we really need five fingers? Why not four? Why not three? Why not two because of God's generous, extravagant gift-giving, he gives you two hands with five fingers. Do you know what you were able to do because you have five fingers and an opposing thumb? It's a gift from God. You were able to do all kinds of intricate things with those fingers. 
sew and draw and paint and make stuff and all that you do with your hand. You're able to lift heavy stuff with your hands. Do all kinds of... You use your hands every moment of every day. Have you ever thanked God for the wonderful gift of your two hands and five fingers on each one? It's all supposed to point to something. If we have eyes to see. Think of what you've already received today. Sunlight. You woke up to it. Perhaps you woke up when it was still dark. I did, but sun eventually rose. Health. As I look about and look at you this morning, most of you, I think, you seem to be in your right mind. And you're in decent health, are you not? Now, we get sick from time to time, and we moan and complain. And oh, we don't, Nobody likes being sick. I don't like being sick at all. But you will, you will live most of your days, 95% of your days, for most of you, you will be in good health. True? Yeah. It's a gift this morning. You're here sitting in this chair in a warm church building. You had a car or a truck to drive here. You had roads upon which to drive to get here. And you woke up to, perhaps many of you like this, a nice black hot cup of coffee. All gifts from God. It's all gift, is it not? If we have eyes to see. And you didn't decide to be born in this country, did you? Did you ever decide, let's see, where am I going to be born? Ah, I'd like to be, nobody does that. It all comes again as gift from God. And every talent that we have, every talent, every ability that you have, young, old, male or female, whoever you are this morning, black or white, every talent you have at bottom is gift. Yes, you develop it. Praise God. You should do that. You should develop your gifts. Work hard at it. That's a good thing to do. But when you work hard at your gifts, all the breath that you have to work hard and all the energy comes from whom? God. His gift. How in the world people can take pride in what they have? I mean, we do it easily, but it's kind of crazy, isn't it? These amazing athletes that we're going to watch next Sunday. Anybody here like football? Have developed their abilities. But at core, they have gifts that other people don't have. And where did that come from? God himself. You and I live in a world that's constantly telling how bountiful and lavish and generous our God is. But we can live life, you and I, we can live life driven to hold on to, just driven lives to hold on to our security and our success, driven lives. And when we live lives like that, I, I think with that kind of a perspective, always after something and the next thing and the next thing and the next thing, and that's our focus, I think gratitude usually shrivels. And I think you can take this to the bank. When gratitude goes down, self-reliance goes up. And when self-reliance goes up, it's all depending on me now. When that goes up, joy becomes more and more elusive. I think there's a direct connection between lots of gratitude and real happiness. And there's a connection also between ingratitude, lives not very grateful, and sadness and anger and depression. 
Giving thanks has the power to change us. G.K. Chesterton was a, a philosopher of the 20th century, English guy. He wrote a lot of stuff. He wrote several books. Perhaps some of you have heard of the books. He was also a poet. Now, I'm going to read you a poem, Don't Freak Out. I know most Americans don't particularly like poems, poetry. It's a very short one. I think you'll get it, but it's powerful. Listen to it. It's entitled Evening. Evening. It goes like this. Here dies another day, during which I have had eyes, ears, hands. And the great world round me. And with tomorrow begins another. Why am I allowed to? Why am I allowed to? We don't think like that, do we? Here's how we often think. You're darn right I'm allowed to. (laughs) And Lord, you better give me three, four, five, and six. And by the way, I should have my three score and ten. And if I don't get it, that ain't right. Gratitude is powerful. Not only does creation come to us as a gift, but salvation comes to us as a a gift. I'm sure I don't have to tell you that with the wonderful preacher you have here, the leadership you have at this church. But look at what Paul says about salvation. And he connects, by the way, salvation with creation. Look at verse 18 of chapter 1 of Colossians. Look at verses 18 and following. 18, 19, and 20. 18, and he, that is Christ, is the head of the body of the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him, in Christ, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Here it is now, verse 20. And through him... There's that through him again. To reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. God is on a mission to bring together heaven and earth, the very world that he created. He's going to fix and renew so that our final home will be new heaven, new earth. He's going to reconcile it all because of Christ, what he's done on the cross and his resurrection. And Within that, he is also reconciling people to himself, like you and me, by the blood of his cross. God does that. It's a gift that comes to us. Creation's a gift. Salvation is a gift. All of it, gift. Maybe this will help. Consider what all churches have in common. Some of you have come from different traditions, I would imagine. Probably you were not born Presbyterian. All of you were not. Uh, But um, think of what all churches have in common, whether Baptist or Wesleyan or uh, Lutheran or Episcopalian or Anglican. All of them, even Roman Catholic, they all have something in common. What do they all do? They all observe the Lord's Supper, don't they? We call it Lord's Supper, Lord's Table. Imagine that's what language you use here. Communion, perhaps, you say that sometimes. There's another word you may or may not be familiar with. Depending on tradition you've come from. Have you heard of the word Eucharist? Eucharist. 
Did you know that Eucharist, some traditions use Eucharist to refer to the Lord's table? Eucharist comes from a Greek word that, give, that means giving thanks. Here's why some traditions use that word. Because when Jesus began this whole Lord's Supper thing, he took the bread and he broke it and he gave thanks. He took the cup and he poured it and he gave thanks. And so this is the time when Jesus, we remember Jesus gave thanks. But not only that, this is the time when we give thanks. Amen? To God for all that we have in his Son. At the Lord's table. It's a wonderful time to do that, giving thanks. You and I are called to live Eucharistic lives. You see, the Eucharist, the Lord's table, just sets you, it sets you free to go and live with thanksgiving in your heart the rest of the week. The rest of the week. Giving thanks. Think of the storyline of the whole Bible for a moment. One man puts it like this. I read this recently, and it really grabbed me. It moved me. I hope it will you as well. Here's, here's what he says. God gave the first humans all they needed for a good life. Did he not? Adam and Eve. Everything they needed, all the bounty, everything. The garden was full and lush. All that I've talked about already. The creation was there, theirs. Walking with God was theirs. It was all theirs. God gave it to them. But they chose to take the one thing that was not given to them. Think of it like this. The first sin was a sin of ingratitude. We're not content with all you've given us. Lord, we want more. And so they take what was not given to them. Now, you would think for God to fix this mess, by the way, once they did that, plunged the whole world into a mess, did it not? Now, you would think for God to fix this mess that he would take something back, right? But God doesn't do it like that. What does he do? He gives away even more. Are you with me? In fact, he gives everything away, doesn't he? In the person of his son. His son gives everything he has. The father gives the son, and the son gives his whole life. You tell me, is God a God who lavishly gives and gives and gives or not? Anne Voskamp is a Canadian author. Perhaps you know the name. Anybody familiar with the book 1,000 Gifts? Have you ever heard of it? Perhaps some of you have, have read it. She published it several years ago. It's a wonderful gift. When I was pastoring, I recommended it to the whole church to read uh, during Lent, I think it was, and we asked them to read it. Anne Voskamp, in her book, 1,000 Gifts, recounts the time when she was four years old, and she watched her younger sister, who was three, two or three at the time, I can't remember exactly, get run over by a delivery truck and crushed in their driveway, on their family farm. Now you tell me, what does that do to a family? She remembers when the driver of that truck sat at their kitchen table just weeping profusely, trying to tell the family how he did not see the little girl behind him. After that, her father stopped going to church. You can imagine why. 
Her mother was put into a psychiatric ward. And Anne grew up a very bitter young woman. But at some point in her life, she chose to have new eyes. A friend of, her, a friend of hers challenged her to start keeping a record of things she was thankful for. In fact, the friend said, I dare you to come up with a thousand gifts God has given you. And so Ann Voskamp started keeping a gratitude journal, writing down all the things, she, just trying to notice everything she could notice, every little thing that you and I often don't notice, things like sunlight through the kitchen window in the morning. Thank you, Lord. Laughter of children. You ever thank God for laughter? The smell of clean sheets. My wife loves, she goes bonkers over clean sheets. She gets so excited to go to bed to getting clean. I just go, that's good. I don't really like dirty sheets, that's fine. She just loves clean sheets. Forgiveness of sins. She was thankful for the book of Colossians. Quiet kisses, the taste of gravy on turkey. Anybody here like gravy on turkey? I do. The goal was to reach a thousand. And as you read her book, she will list some of those things she's thankful for all through the book. My sister read the book and was really moved by it. And so my sister Trina started keeping a gratitude journal. I talked to her last fall. She's up to 18,198. You say, that sounds crazy. Here's my challenge to you. If you started writing down all the things that come to you every day as gifts, you'll be amazed how fast it adds up. And my sister's testimony is this. It has changed her. Giving thanks has the power to transform us. To change our whole perspective. Just how we see life. Giving thanks acknowledges a generous God. There's one other thing it does, and this point is a whole lot shorter than the first one, just so you know. Giving thanks also produces a generous people. It produces a generous people. Not only does it change the way we think of God, it changes the way we interact with others. God's generosity spills over into our lives, and guess what it does? When we get a hold of it, here's what it does. It makes us generous people. That's exactly what it's supposed to do. And I'm not just talking about money. I know as soon as the preacher brings up the word generosity, I know where your mind is going. No, no, it's not just money. It's money, but it's bigger than money. It's all the different ways we relate to other people, all the ways we can give ourselves. Go back to chapter 3. I'm going to just read that one verse in verse 17, and that'll be it. Look at verse 3 and 17 again. 317, and whatever you do in word or deed, do everything, here it is, in the name of the Lord Jesus. Do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. What does that mean? To do something in the name of the Lord Jesus. Or to do something in the name of someone means that you represent that someone. You do something on their behalf. Or think of it like this. When you do something in the name of somebody, you imitate them. 
I do something in the name of my wife, Dorothy. I represent her. I do it like she would do it. So, if we do something in the name of the Lord Jesus, what's Paul telling us to do? To represent Jesus in all those situations, in word or deed, to imitate him. And what's the biggest way you and I can imitate Jesus? Here's what the New Testament says over and over and over. Here's what Jesus did. He gave himself for us out of generous love. And if you and I are going to imitate him, we give ourselves to others out of generous love. You with me? That's doing it in the name of the Lord Jesus. Our time we give to others. Our attention we give to others. Husbands can listen to their wives. (laughs) And wives to husbands. Our money, yes, giving to others. Communication we give to others. Help, just general help we give to others. That's doing it in the name of the Lord Jesus. Being generous with our love like he is with us. As many of you know, I'm, I'm retired. I retired about a year ago. <clears throat> and retirement is a good thing. We got any retired people here? Probably most of you like You generally like it? Sometimes I talk to a retired person who wants to go back to work. And I say, well, first of all, you need to go to the doctor and get your head checked out first. What I do? No, just kidding. I understand that. You, you, sometimes you can lose meaning and purpose because, you know, I used to pour my life into that and I don't have that anymore. But retirement is a wonderful thing. But it's also dangerous, I think, retirement is. Here's what I mean by that. Before I retired, people told me, Reverend, look, you spent 40 years working for somebody else. Now it's all about you. Whatever you want to do, your time, your hobbies, your money, all it's all about you. And I listened to that before I retired, and I said, that doesn't sound too bad. But you know what? To be honest, it's a lie. Because it's not mine. It's not my time. It's not my money. It's not my hobbies. It's not my gifts. It's not. I'm just a manager because everything I have is gift. It comes from our great God. It's gift. It's not mine. I'm going to give an account. If it was mine, I wouldn't give an account. And everything I pass on to you or you or you in terms of giving, whatever I give to you, listen now, first of all, it's been given to me as a gift. I give to you a gift that's already been given to me first. Are you with me? Your time, your money, your energy, it comes to you already as a gift from God. And so whatever you give to anybody else, you got it first as a gift. Didn't you? Yeah. God's generosity is meant to produce our generosity. Here's the challenge you and I face, and then I'm done. I don't have to tell you this. Perhaps you've been thinking this while I've been preaching. <laughs> Robin, you don't understand my life. You preachers, you just talk this Pollyanna world. What the heck are you talking about, being thankful? Do you, understand, do you know what I'm going through? I just got word last night a good friend of mine was diagnosed with lung cancer. I'm sure many of you know people like that. Just two years older than I am. Lots of people that I, that are my age, have already died that I grew up with. 
Life is full of disappointments. I know that. Things just not going the way we want them to. And here's the challenge you and I face. It is so easy to focus on all these disappointments because there's so much of it, and it stares us in the face, doesn't it? These children are not what they're supposed to be. Our neighbors, the job, our finances, my health, the church. Do you know where the Apostle Paul was when he wrote this book? Colossians. Where was Paul when he wrote the book of Colossians and said three times, be thankful with thanksgiving and giving thanks to God? I can tell you this, he was not on a beach in Jamaica. Where was he? Many of you know this. Where was he? He was in prison with chains. What kind of crazy man who gets up in prison, goes to bed in prison, lives the whole day in prison, which, what kind of man like that would write a book like this and say, give thanks to God over and over and over? What kind of man would do that? I'll tell you what I think. The kind of man who chooses to focus on the gifts and not the disappointments. That's what I think. The late, great um, Fred Craddock, late preacher and professor, said that when our kids were small, if an angel had come to him in the room and said, now, Fred, you and your wife may receive one virtue, one good quality for each child you have, which one do you choose? You only get one. Which one is it? Fred said, I knew, I know that I would discuss it with my wife, but I already know what I would say. Make them always grateful. Because that, my friend, has the power to change people. Let's pray. Oh, Lord our God. Fill our hearts with thanksgiving. Give us eyes to see, ears to hear, fingers to touch, and minds to think of all the gifts that come to us each hour of every day. Oh, Lord, make us grateful. In the name of our Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen.